Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, we've got episode 121 that we're on now. It feels crazy to think that we're not only over 100 episodes, but are uh, rapidly approaching <laughs> uh, the uh, end of the 2020 season and the 2020 year. My name is Blake Murphy on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. Uh, we're part of the ROTB pod. I'm joined, uh, as always, by my co-host, the venerable Johnny Venerable, here to uh, talk a little bit about the Cardinals and the playoffs and uh, whether the team has a chance to clinch this week, some of the scenarios, and then preview the Niners game. A bit of a shorter show than usual for you guys this week and as such we'll uh, get right to it uh before we jump in though john i always want to check in see how you're doing and how you're feeling after the chance to process that eagles win on sunday feeling good blake it's a it's a quick turnaround like you mentioned thanks for everybody jumping on another podcast with us geez uh, 100 episodes that's that's crazy it makes me feel super old um but we are so thankful for all the support that we've gotten throughout uh, the year and the and the duration of this podcast since it's been up and running. But I, I think the, the perfect gift for 100 plus episodes would be to continue it into the Cardinal postseason for the first time. And to get there, I do believe the Cardinals have to come out victorious this weekend against a banged up division rival in San Francisco. But Blake, I, you know, everything that comes out every day that I'm I'm reading more and more about this preview you know, the, this opened up, and I think the Cardinals started, depending on which site you use for your gambling needs, the Niners were a, a three-point underdog. They were minus three. And, you know, they've essentially thrown away home field advantage this year to some degree, especially when you've got divisional opponents on the same side of the country. And, goodness, San Francisco's been making home in Arizona for the last couple of weeks. So not necessarily a neutral field, but close to it. But since the news that we'll probably talk about in detail today with the regard to the Niner quarterback situation being in flux and presumably starting C.J. Beathard, the number has jumped up to minus five. And I don't know about you, Blake. I, I feel more confident and comfortable going into this game knowing the limitations that the Niners have offensively, specifically quarterback with all the injuries compared to last week. I Just because Jalen Hurts is such an unknown He's got a dynamic factor that we saw certainly looks the part of a young you know, quarterback that you could build around potentially. The Niner offense, to me, I think is going to be much more limited with Beathard. And I would not be surprised. We're recording this on Wednesday right before the, um, the holidays kick off with uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas. If we roll around to Saturday, I would not be surprised to see this number approach six. And if you can remember... I think the Eagle line got to like six and a half, seven, which I know not everybody is, you know, keen on on betting and looking at this, the spread and the consensus. But I, I just think as we get closer to the game, I, I expect that that margin to to widen because I, I think hands down outside of head coach with with all due respect to Kyle Shanahan and what he's accomplished really as a, as a coordinator. And then specifically last year coming within a quarter of a way of winning a Super Bowl. I think the Cardinals have a have a huge advantage at every near positional group, 
minus, you know, one or two here or there, Blake. Yeah, and John, what will be interesting to find out is will the Cardinals be able to bounce back from a three-turnover game that they had against the Eagles? From what we've seen overall, you look back to the three-interception game against the uh uh, I would say the Detroit Lions, and then you look at the next week, the offense just really did not show up to play. When they did end up playing a opponent that was, you know, at home in the Seattle Seahawks, and you can, you know, look at the Jets game on the road potentially as well, we did end up seeing improvement in that regard. I think some of those cases, at least, you take a look at the fact that it's not just going to be the likes of... Uh, uh, I was going to say Nick Mullins out. You're also talking about Raheem Moster re-injuring his ankle. He's their number one running back. He's likely to be out as well. They're already having issues with Tavon Coleman, Jarek McKinnon for most of the season. Um, you got to see there have another running back who went on to IR earlier in the year as well. Um, Debo, Ham, uh, Debo Samuel has definitely been having issues as far as with his hamstring and Richard Sher Sherman came back and played at least overall through some of the weeks, but he's been banged up and did not practice for the last two days straight. Uh, you're also looking at least at the center, Honus Grassu's been hurt. And then Dion Jordan and his knee have been having issues along with Javon Kinlaw. Now, when you're talking about the Niners, they've been beat up pretty much all season long. The healthiest part of their team for the most part has been their tackle situation with Mike McGlinchey and Trent Williams. And they've still been effective enough on the ground. I think a lot of it's going to be interesting, John, is to look at it from the Cardinals side. Uh, we're talking about, at least with today's injury report, a uh, similar amount of guys who didn't practice today, some of them popping up, which is a little bit unusual. Like we mentioned, for a Saturday game, usually you're used to seeing DeAndre Hopkins be a non-injury, doesn't practice on those Wednesdays. Used to seeing Larry Fitzgerald be a non-factor uh, non as far as for Wednesday practices. Usually if those guys are good, they'll come back to practice later in the week or in the case of Hopkins. Um, sometimes they don't come back at least throughout the week or unlimited throughout the whole week and then goes out on Sunday and puts up 160 yards. I think what we're going to have to look for is seeing do the Cardinals injuries that they have and the Niners essentially uh, looking at this as they're pretty much eliminated from the playoffs down to their third string quarterback. Are they going to really go and suit George Kittle up at least and have him be ready to go despite, you know, not really practicing as much? He's been activated from their list. Um, that's going to be an interesting question to see. I think it comes down to a couple of players, at least for that one, who the Cardinals have as either limited or didn't practice and seeing what their effectiveness is going to be. And that's going to be what comes down to with Justin Pugh, who's practiced but limited, Hassan Reddick, the team's lead pass rusher, at least, who had a shoulder injury, and then looking also at the likes of Max Williams and Dennis Gardak. I think all of those guys, for the most part, seemed like that they had more significant injuries and could miss a bit more time. What seems fortunate, honestly, John, is it doesn't seem like that's been a season-ending injury for all of them that, that we know of for right now. Uh, there's other guys who have been limited who are effective players, like Darrell Daniels and Chase Edmonds. Uh, Mason Cole, being a non-injury, did not practice is something to watch. But uh, overall, John, it looks like this is kind of a Cardinals team that while we've seen them get banged up in the past... The majority of the time, they end up going out, despite the fact that a lot of times they're limited and uh, playing. The only exception that we really saw for the last few weeks really was Justin Pugh for the most part. But even Chase Edmonds, we talked about how he was seeming like he may have not played, and he instead went out and had a solid game at least. It didn't look like he was very limited. I think at least as far as for the way that these matchups go, it really is going to come down to a similar type of story of the Cardinals are coming into this game as outclassing their opponent. What we've seen is that this team just does not really have the ability to put teams away. Uh, when they are going up against a quarterback who plays well, plays effectively, and does not turn the ball over. When you're going against Nick Mullins, he'd been a turnover machine the past few weeks. Um, still had a pretty accurate and decent deep ball to be able to get a guy like Brandon Ayuk involved. I think what it really is going to come down to is, are the Cardinals going to come out and just kind of look past the 49ers, or are they going to kind of see this as a game where you can't take Kyle Shanahan lightly, you're on your home field this time at least, and essentially go out and be able to say, hey, we're, we're going to take our destiny in our hands and not not look ahead, not skip over the Niners for that one, and not take ourselves too confidently too. And I think they've got a great shot to do that after an Eagles game in which they only won by seven points. And really a lot of people would argue there was a good chance that they didn't deserve to win that game in the first place considering how often they turned it over. Uh, yeah, I, Blake, I just I feel like – you have such a distinct advantage at quarterback 
that for the Cardinals to lose this game, you're right, they would have to be looking ahead. But what are you even looking ahead to at this point? You need to secure this victory. You win this game on Sunday, which they should do. You're going to go into your Week 17 matchup knowing if, or excuse me, you're like, you know, an hour before your game kicks off in Week 17. Before you, certainly before you take the field at L.A. against the, the Los Angeles Rams, you are going to know if you are in the postseason or if you need to win that Rams game to get into the postseason. Because the Bears and the Packers, correct me if I'm wrong, kick off at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Mm-hmm. And so the Cardinals, unless that game right. gets flexed, will know if they're in the playoffs. And if they're in the playoffs, maybe they play a half. Maybe they go out and, you know, try to keep the momentum going. They would have, have won theoretically four, th- three straight. I think this game, you cannot expect, in my opinion, to win, to lose this game with the Chicago Bears playing a potentially Gardner, Gardner Minshew less Jacksonville team and think that we can roll into Los Angeles, beat a coach we've never beaten before, and you know have to rely on the Packers may or may not be resting players. This is a must win. They know it. There's no looking ahead here. There's this is a division opponent with a Super Bowl quality head coach that has some talent still. I mean, the Niners have gotten some players back. You mentioned Kittle, although I I question that decision, especially when you've got a quarterback, presumably in C.J. Beathard, that could be potentially be throwing, you know, I hate the term hospital balls, but that's what it, it conceivably would be. Inaccurate balls all over the place, has a chance to re-aggravate an injury, and at this point, the Niners, everything that I see, and I know Niner Twitter is not real Niner, you know, administrative work or you know, it's not the team, it's not the coaches, it's not the players. But everybody for San Francisco wants them to lose out. So they have a chance to go and have a ch- chance to get a quarterback of the future in next year's draft that should have a handful of guys go in the early half of the first round. And if they are out there competing with Kittle, that sends a message like, well, we're comfortable just trying to win our last two games. And realistically, yes, that's what coaches and players think like. They don't care about the offseason but Kyle Shanahan is going to go into next offseason knowing he's going to need to upgrade his quarterback because this is, I think, the third time in four years with Garoppolo that he's missed significant time, if not most of the season. So I, I get the Stafford inquiries for the San Francisco 49ers, maybe Kirk Cousins, maybe Matt Ryan. But I also think that this team is is going to be in a position where they could get cheap labor, and they've seen how that's benefited Russell Wilson and the Seahawks for so long, golf and now Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. And if they go out and try to do a Band-Aid approach with Stafford or somebody like that, and you're still paying $30 million, I just think that in a perfect world, Kyle Shanahan wants to draft and develop a quarterback. He traded for one in Garoppolo. He likes Nick Mullins. Beathard was a miss in the third round that we'll see this weekend. To me, I just I don't understand pushing guys out there, especially somebody like Kittle, who your, who your history, or excuse me, your future is so tied to. Big money contract. Sherman, he probably wants to finish strong because he's going to be a free agent. You want to get Javon Kinlaw some additional saps. He's a rookie. Um, you know, but they've already shut down Debo Samuel, Moster, who I believe is going to be a free agent. Um, or no, I'm sorry, he got an extension. He's shut down for the year with a with a high ankle sprain. Jeff Wilson's been banged up. Their best player right now offensively is rookie receiver from Arizona State, Brandon Ayuk, who's looked very, very good consistent and very strong and has an outside chance to reach a thousand yards as a rookie receiver. He's their most dynamic playmaker right now. But when you're at your third string quarterback and you're, you're playing away from your family and you haven't seen your family for weeks on end and you've got two more weeks, I mean, that's got to drain your psyche. I, I just, I don't know what this team views as they have left to play for. And you go back and you look at some of these instances recently with San Francisco, and they they played hard. They played the Seahawks hard a couple weeks ago, lost by 10. Shoot, they beat the Rams 23-20. to 20. They had a competitive game with the Bills on Monday night. Washington, they played down to the wire. I just think last week against Dallas, I, I think the wheels came off, and we started to see a trickle effect of just exhaustion from overuse of certain players and inconsistencies at quarterback. They they let Andy Dalton and, and this Dallas team led by he and Tony Pollard put 41 points on them. And the only reason that game looked as close as it did is Mullins and 
and uh, Kendrick Bourne had a Hail Mary at the final seconds of the game, 50-yard Hail Mary. Otherwise, it would have been 41 to 26. I mean, it, it, it would have been a very lopsided effort. I expect the Cardinals, again, if they cannot, you know, step on their own toes and turn the ball over. I'm looking at the, the box score from last week's game against San Francisco and, and Dallas. And what did Dallas do? They intercepted Nick Mullins twice. They made him uncomfortable. Nick Mullins lost a fumble. Richie James lost a fumble. I would expect much of the same from Bethard. I mean, Bethard's third string for a reason. It means he's worse than Nick Mullins. It means they don't have confidence in him. I know he came in and, and threw a touchdown pass late. Maybe it was he that, that threw the Hail Mary. But um, the Dallas Cowboys came out and they said, we're going to try to run the football effectively. And they didn't turn the ball over once. And they jumped out to a 14-7 lead. And then it got closer. But then the second half, they, they pulled away. So I, I, I'm with you, Blake. If the Cardinals can limit their mistakes, and we saw it last week, and I'm sure it'll be a point of emphasis this week, it will be consistent of protecting the football, um, punting when they need to, don't force interceptions. Certainly, you cannot expect to have two more interceptions, excuse me, two more turnovers in the red zone and expect to win a game. But when you're playing a team like Philadelphia that's got so many inconsistencies, um, specifically defensively, you can afford to do that. I mean, goodness, Philadelphia didn't have a punter in the second half of that game. The Niners aren't that desperate, but I do think that they don't have the same caliber of quarterback. Miles Sanders is better than anybody San Francisco has going right now. I mean, Jeff Wilson was a very pedestrian six, 16 for 60 for 38 yards. If the Cardinals are able to make San Francisco one-dimensional, which is something they don't like to do, they like to run the football. Mostert is their bell cow, and he's out now. It's going to be, can they get the ball and distribute to the Kendrick Bournes, to the Brandon Ayukes, to the Richie James, if Kittle plays? What factor, if at all, will he be? I, even if he plays, I would would very strongly, I, I would lean on the idea that he would he would play on some on a snap count, limited minutes. Maybe he plays about a, a half of a game or at most three fourths of the game. He doesn't play the entire game. They got some production out of Reek Armstead last week. He plays in the interior offensive line along with Kinlaw, and that's been the the Cardinals' trouble spot. But what we saw last week, I was very impressed by the effort of Justin Murray. And like you mentioned, Justin Pugh ought to be back this week. You have your whole, uh, you know, array of offensive linemen. Um, Gilliard was gone, had the the birth of his first child, and rightfully so missed the game. We'll be back. So everything just to me points to unless the Cardinals, like you mentioned, are just overconfident or what, they should be able to take control of this game and put them away, I think, before shortly after the half. I, I just, I don't know how San Francisco, because I think the Cardinals are going to put up 30 points again. San Francisco's defense is not what it once was. In fact, it's it's a shell of itself, especially, I don't think their back end is very good. And what we see last week, well, Philadelphia has got a nice front four better than San Francisco right now. They can't cover anybody on the back end. I think if Sherman's limited, you see what happened to him week one, against DeAndre Hopkins. I think we could see much of the same. The Cardinals know who they are right now. They're, they found that identity of we're limited offensively, but we've got two elite players in Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, and that's what we're going to lean on. I I think for San Francisco to have any shot in this game, which is why I'm surprised the line is so low, I think they've got to eclipse 30 points. And I just, unless the Cardinals are sloppy with the football and you're talking, you know, pick six by Kyler, something like that happens. I think the Cardinals are going to roll the San Francisco 49ers and they're going to go into their week 17 matchup, Blake, with the L.A. Rams playing well, three straight wins, nine and six. And who knows, they might be playing with house money by the time kickoff rolls around. But focusing on this game, I think the Cardinals are going to win their most convincing game since the Monday night football effort blowout against Dallas. Wow. And I think that's something Cardinals fans are hoping for because with these last two games of the year, uh, there's a chance at least to exercise a couple of demons in more, way than, more ways than one, particularly in the Rams game, as well as the fact that the team was able to, uh, and this has kind of been interesting, the Cardinals, when they've played um, Kyle Shanahan, uh, when they've started a quarterback other than Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, the Cardinals are, I believe it's one and f I think it's like the, the Niners, I should say, um, 
they've only got basically uh, one win, I think, at least for that one. No, 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 no. I just checked. Yeah. Cardinals, uh, ever since the Kyle Shanahan joined, are undefeated when Shanahan's starting a quarterback that is not Jimmy Garoppolo. And when they have started a quarterback that's Garoppolo, uh, the Cardinals are still one and two. So it's not like it's one of those cases where, oh, you're missing your franchise quarterback. He comes in. It's more of they had a really good game uh, last year. They both played hard in. Niners ended up making late plays to win. And uh, Cardinals kind of kept it close in the first game. And then this year it was close down to the wire at the end. But Arizona pulled away 24-20. What you look at from last week with the likes of Mullins and Bethard was that Mullins was uh, ultimately the, the San Francisco had turned it over three times. And part of what ended up being a big factor was the special teams. The Cowboys were able to uh, force a fumble on a muff punt. You think back to week one against this team. That's exactly how Arizona got started and was able to take a lead as well. So I think that that turnover area and being able to make a play either defensively or on special teams, that I think will be able to help jumpstart the offense. Uh, in particular, because the biggest thing you have to worry about with the Niners are they still at least have some good players up front as far as it's it's not obviously the Nick Bosa and it's not obviously like the other pass rushers. You're talking much more about, you know, a rookie in Kinlaw who's been banged up. You're talking about Eric Armstead and DJ Jones at defensive tackle. They've got a fantastic linebacker. And the biggest thing that I think you want to focus on this week is Richard Sherman, at least from all accounts, He's, he's kind of taken a Patrick Peterson-style dive as far as just not seeming the same effectiveness, maybe just a little bit sluggish. What we're seeing instead is Jason Verrett has been kind of a well-rounded corner who's missed time last week to injury. He's likely back this week. That, to me, I think will be the interesting matchup is are you going to be talking about you know uh, Hopkins matched up on a slower Sherman who maybe gets penalized trying to stop him? or on Akella Witherspoon and Manuel Mosley, because we all know from week one there was 15 catches for, you know, 150-plus yards or so uh, against that cover three defense. So for me, I think that that would be the biggest storyline will be can Arizona's offense take advantage of a beat-up Niners defense to be able to put them away and see if you can get a turnover or two from the likes of Bethard, because I think that is exactly what you're looking for if you're the Cardinals, is to be able to put up a big enough lead and force the – force the Niners to have to throw the ball and then you can tee off with some of your pass rushers. Now there's one other player, at least who's in this game and we can talk about here. And that was some of the news that broke yesterday in which the people questioned who's the Niners backup quarterback because Garoppolo's not been activated yet. CJ Beathers, the only backup that was there on the roster, the Niners go out and sign Josh Rosen off of the Tampa Bay practice squad to a one year deal. And this kind of, in a lot of ways broke Twitter as far as, Oh, this is a Rosen revenge game. Is this maybe a future look at him for there? He's a former first round pick after all. Doesn't necessarily Rosen's choice. I mean, he obviously picked Tom Brady and the Buccaneers when he was a free agent to sign to their practice squad, but it does set up an interesting scenario, John, where you become potentially one play or one injury away from seeing Rosen return to the field in University of Phoenix Stadium, although on the other sideline. And we've talked plenty about Josh Rosen on our podcast, but I just wanted to hear what, what are some of your thoughts, at least on seeing this quarterback go to a division rival that, you know, potentially they may look at him for, you know, in the future, maybe it's just in a case of emergency. What are some of your thoughts here? Cause this is kind of a strange and weird twist of fate. Like imagine if we're here sitting here on Saturday and Bethard gets hurt on like the first play of the day and Rosen goes in knowing none of the playbook and just takes a beating. It would be just this strange, ironic type of uh, football fate that you'd be talking about. What are some of your thoughts, at least on that Rosen news that kind of was very interesting to most Cardinals fans this week? Yeah, it makes me sad. I I mean, listen, if, if you've listened to this podcast long enough and followed us online, I mean, I was such a big Josh Rosen fan and, and Homer, and I thought that was going to change their franchise like Murray has done, and clearly that has not been the case. And uh, he's just kind of been wasting away. He's only 23 years old, but the fact that it took a week 16 injury for him to be able to be a backup on a roster, I mean, he's been on a practice squad all year long, and, and nobody has sniffed him. And there there have been injuries throughout the NFL all season. I mean, Breeze got injured. There's There's been legitimate injuries that – could have resulted in him being claimed and and not only being claimed, but I I think about, you know, rough QB situations where he could flourish behind somebody in Chicago or just, you know, offensive minded guys. And I always thought that San Francisco made a lot of sense. You know, he's from the area. 
in from California. Uh, went to UCLA, of course, and um, Kyle Shanahan, knowing you know he's a very strong-willed individual, but he always kind of projected out to be that prototypical Kirk Cousins type of quarterback that could build a living off of the vertical passing game and and the intermediate throws that we saw him make so many times at UCLA. And I was surprised when they didn't take a flyer on him, but you you got Bethard and Mullins that have been in the system now for a long time, as was Jimmy G. And so when this injury went down, they, they were kind of forced to sign him because Josh Jackson, or I can't remember who the backup right. to the backup, he was their practice squad QB, and he's on the COVID reserve list. So that's the only reason this is happening. This isn't happening, make no mistake. And the Niner fans have made this clear. This is only happening because of the fact that they are in dire straits at quarterback. And who knows? He could impress Kyle Shanahan enough to warrant maybe a, a second chance either on their practice squad or on their active roster next year. But I I just don't think this is any more than a late-season headline that's unique because the team that he's being called up to, to back up against is the team that drafted him you know, two short years ago. I, I think it means nothing other than that. Um, but you know, would I like to see him play? Sure. Am I rooting for him to succeed? Absolutely not, just based on... Listen, uh, Rosen got a raw deal, but he also showed some some inconsistencies and some concerns on the field, not off the field, because he's been a model teammate and citizen. There, there have been no red flags there, but I'm talking specifically about his inability to, to be a game changer and whether it's fair or not. He got a year and a half tryout or roughly one year when you consider his time with Miami and Arizona, and he didn't impress anybody enough for either franchise not to move off of him. Miami gave up a second. The Cardinals gave up a first, a third, and a fifth. And both those teams said, yeah, you're not you're not good enough. And, and that's not changing anytime soon. So while I think he could resurrect his career under Kyle Shanahan, I also think that, listen, I, I think a lot of Cliff Kingsbury. And if Cliff Kingsbury had seen enough from Kyler Murray, excuse me, Josh Rosen, he would have said, we're, we're sticking with Rosen. I like him enough to keep him. But the, the combination of him not being good enough. And I think Kyler being so enticing clearly made that decision much easier. But you also have to think about like everybody in the NFL, every offensive savant in this league that we talk about has had an opportunity to claim him off a practice squad and have him back up their starter, not even to be a starter, but or if so many teams are, are keeping three quarterbacks now because of everything going on with COVID. The fact that no team Prior to the season, other than Tampa, put them put him on his, on their practice squad. The fact that you know QB needy teams, I would say like um, the Denver Broncos or the Tennessee Titans to back up Tannehill, or the Jags or the Colts behind Philip Rivers. I know they have Brissett. Um, you know the Steelers with Big Ben. All these teams that need a quarterback. Goodness, the Bengals are starting. You know, a, a journeyman after Burrow went down. Nobody said, no, he, Rosen's good enough. The Cowboys didn't. Giants have had injuries. They didn't want him. Nobody's wanted him. So I, while I think this is a nice, this is a nice story, it means nothing. And I fully expect him to be released after this season. I, I think Shanahan loves Nick Mullins. We've, we've seen that enough to, that he's rolled with him over somebody like Bethard. Bethard, I, I'm not sure when he was drafted, but I think his contract might be up after this year. And then you've got the situation where in the offseason, they clearly are going to upgrade over Jimmy G or bring in competition for Jimmy G in tune of a draft pick. Well, Josh Rosen does not have any opportunity to be on this team next year because of Shanahan's love for um, Nick Mullins and the fact that they're going to get another quarterback. Could he be on the practice squad? Sure. But we just saw him. He was on a practice squad all year, and the Buccaneers didn't think enough of him to, to quickly add him to their active roster behind Tom Brady in fear of losing him. So I, I think if he gets in the game, with the Cardinals' pass rush being super effective this year in third and sacks, I just think it would be really ugly, Blake. Oh, I know. It would be totally ugly. And I, again, like you said, with a lot of the aspects when it comes with Rosen, there's some guys we've seen who've been able to resurrect their careers. We've seen guys like, obviously, Tannehill has been one that's been able to be there. We've seen how other quarterbacks have been able to pursue. You know, I think Shanahan, in a lot of ways, has a lot of similarities with pocket quarterbacks like Rosen that we've seen with Garoppolo and others. But just the way that the NFL has changed, there's a certain level of athleticism and processing, I think, that goes into that role. 
And what we've seen, at least overall from Josh, was that there was some high points that were there, but a lot of that was honestly very much, whether it was schemed up or planned or was game planned, like the way you would look at it at least is similar to what we've talked about with Jared Goff and Sean McVay, where there's times where he'll make some incredible decisions and throws and other times where it feels like he'll slap a pair of training wheels on and you'll end up running a play knowing that you can just toss the ball to your tight end against uh, you know a slower linebacker in coverage. And that's some of the similarities that we've seen with you know maybe there's uh, some of the screen plays draws or uh, fullback routes even the likes of Debo Samuel I think had gotten uh, earlier this season on some throws he'd gotten like the majority of his passes were caught behind the line of scrimmage and he was still getting about like 11 or 12 yards per catch so that uh, immediately tells you that man that's a super easy job for a quarterback to do you know they do all the work for you for me, it wouldn't shock me. Mullen's contract is up as well. I think that you'd look at with the Niners, if they decide that they want to move on from Garoppolo, not only would it be ironic because it would mean it would be the third straight time that Josh Rosen's ended the season on a roster and said team maybe went out and drafted a first-round quarterback, which would be like... Uh, that would be like insane if that happens. Like even Sam Bradford, I think only had that happen twice, uh, but it would also mean that they would be moving on from him potentially as a backup as well. If you go back into next year and decide to roll with Garoppolo, look at injuries that they had with Bosa and other guys and say, you know what, this is a Super Bowl team two years ago. We can roll with it one more time, at least for that one, while we've got this deal and then focus on 2022 being our rebuild year. I could see maybe if they like him enough as a backup, but really a lot of it just, kind of comes down to uh, what's going to be kind of your identity as a team. And the Niners identity has been being able to run the football on offense and being able to be super effective on defense to force takeaways and having a quarterback who can manage the game like Garoppolo. Maybe that's not, maybe that's not something that Rosen can do effectively. Maybe it is, but I think what's most important about this game, and you mentioned it, is uh, the Cardinals have to be able to seize and take advantage of this game because you're in a spot right now where the flexibility for you to lose games, and this, again, goes back to the Patriots game, was lost for you no matter who won between the Minnesota Vikings and the Chicago Bears. Now, when you look at the upcoming schedule, we talked a little bit about it. It really breaks down interesting. The If you can, as your Arizona, win the next two games – then you're basically guaranteed your spot in the playoffs. The flexibility that you have comes very much from the fact that if the Bears drop a game to the Jags or to the Packers, we talked a little bit about this in the last podcast, you have to win one of the next two and you're still in as the seventh seed. The scenarios where it gets a little bit interesting kind of depend on, you know, whoever the NFC East winner is, is just whoever kind of can win a game or two if Washington can hold on. The seeding as far as for that could go anywhere from the Cardinals in the fifth seed to the sixth seed to the seventh seed. And I think in that question, John, we don't know for sure who's going to be the number one seed. We're honestly thinking right now, it looks like it'll be the Packers. They're one game up with two games to go. But if you're talking about that with the Arizona Cardinals getting in, what would be kind of a favorable type of matchup? Would you prefer to go against and see if you could try to say, hey, win the next two games, hope that the, you know, you'll beat the Rams for that one, hope maybe that the Rams could beat the Seahawks. Suddenly you jump up maybe to the spot of like the five seed or so if you're able to pass up the Rams and hope and hope and pray that the Buccaneers will drop a game to Atlanta or drop a game this week to I believe the Buccaneers are playing at the Lions I don't think that's as likely to happen that you're able to jump all the way up into the five seed you'd have to root for Tampa Bay to fail but there is a chance that if you can go out and win these next two games you may jump into the sixth seed for that would you prefer to go and be the sixth seed kind of having to face whoever ends up at number three, either a Seahawks matchup or if the Saints can kind of hang on and end up at number two, what would be kind of your preferred matchup at least for that? And Or do you think that the matchup matters all that much? I mean, you make the playoffs. I think that kind of checks that box for Arizona. And then we're talking about anything on top of that is like the gravy on top of the steak and mashed potatoes. I don't care who they play as long as they get in. So let me put, put a caveat up front. There's no team that I would be legitimately terrified to play in the NFC. Now, AFC is a different story. They've got, I, I think the Chiefs would give the Cardinals a ton of problems. And I think that the way Tennessee is playing and Buffalo, for that matter, even though the Cardinals were able to defeat Buffalo, I think both those teams, all three of those teams in the AFC are right now playing better than anybody in the NFC. Um, here, here's what I'll say. So I, I'm going to throw out the notion that the fifth seed's an option for the Cardinals to play the winner of the NFC East, Washington, even though Washington's playing good football. 
Cardinals have beaten Washington, and I just think their quarterback play is so egregious that the Cardinals will be able to muster enough offense to win that game. So who would I play outside of Green Bay, New Orleans, and and Seattle, and presumably the Rams if they were to somehow win the division? I would say my, my preferred matchup, and you probably think I'm crazy, I would rather play the New Orleans Saints, and here's why. I think the longer the season goes, the more wear and tear you see on Breeze. Breeze still doesn't look very good at all. And I think we have seen the recipe to beat New Orleans, and you just saw it a couple weeks ago, and I know it was his first game, and they didn't know what was coming. Jalen Hurts gave that defense a ton of issues. And who do the New Orleans Saints see in their own division and tee off on? Outside of Teddy B., who's got some mobility, but he's been playing sparingly. I, I couldn't even tell you, didn't he miss some time? And so they had to go to their backup yeah. uh, in Carolina. They get statuesque Matt Ryan and statuesque Tom Brady. And the defense is able just to tee off, right? I think they struggle with mobile QBs. Now, they've got four losses on the year. And of those four losses, two of them are to elite quarterbacks. They lost to Mahomes last week. And they lost to the Packers in week three. But then they also lost to the Raiders in week two. And Carr's got a little bit of mobility. But look at these other these other teams that they've beaten. They've beaten Tampa twice. They've got Brady, who can't move in the pocket. Stafford's an uh, immobile quarterback. They beat Justin Herbert barely. But, you know, he can move a little bit. Um, but, again, they get Chicago's quarterbacks they beat up. Bears they... took them to overtime, which I thought was very interesting as far as that went. So right. They're not the Saints of old, and they and they got to beat the Broncos when the Broncos had, um, you know, the the issue with the quarterback situation. They didn't have one on the active roster, I believe it was that week. Um, they barely beat the Falcons. Now, I, some of those games are skewed because they were starting Taysom Hill. I just know that this New Orleans team over the last several offseasons, excuse me, postseasons, specifically losing back-to-back playoff games to the Vikings, they're just not the same team in, late in the year. There's also no home field advantage in the Superdome, and I think that that's so critical for them. When comparison to teams like Green Bay, who you get the outside elements, and the Cardinals would struggle, I think, in the cold weather. you think the Cardinals would have any problem playing in a dome in New Orleans in January? I don't think they'd have any issue at all. Uh, and I also think that there's an arrogance with that, with that Saints team, and specifically Sean Payton, that they could roll a team like Arizona. I would think New Orleans would want no part of the Cardinals. And if, if the same trajectory stands, I think the Cardinals would have a heck of a shot upsetting the Saints. They would be huge underdogs. Um, even, you know, even if the Cardinals were to win out and the Saints were to, to trip their stumble up and not get the number one seed, I, I like how that matchup lays out for the Cardinals. Especially you think about like Michael Thomas is 100%. He's on IR. We don't know if he's going to be back for the playoffs. They don't get a bye to rest people. And I think that's critical. Think about what the NFL, the landscape of the NFL was last year or two years ago that set up well for the Saints team. You get a buy if you're the two seed and you have fans in your stadium. Those things are gone for the Saints team that I think has built a, a very nice postseason resume off of those. But where have we seen them struggle? They had to go to the super, uh, they had to go to Minnesota Stadium a couple years ago. They lost. They lost last year um, in the first round to Minnesota. Minnesota just out physical them. I just think Kyler Murray, if he's 100%, would be a a huge problem for them. And I also think that the Cardinals, if they're humming at the end of the year and and can score 30 points on anybody, I think that would be difficult for New Orleans. They're not the same team that they once were, and I think their window is closing fast. So to me, that is the preferred matchup because, listen, if the Cardinals beat the Rams in in Hmm. Week 17 um, and they somehow get to play Seattle, I just – Seattle to me – they're so elite at quarterback. I would. Who's the worst quarterback of the teams that the Cardinals would potentially face? Drew Brees. I don't think there's any. Drew Brees can't stretch the field vertically. He he looked awful last week. He's got broken ribs. I w- I would rather play Drew Brees every day and twice on Sunday than Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson. Um, and so that that's an easy choice. And I think if if things play out the way they should, and the Packers get here's. The Packers get the one seed. The Cardinals either finish nine and seven, ten and six. Buccaneers and the Rams maybe finish ahead of them. And you've got Seattle and Washington as the three and four seed. I think the Cardinals at ten and six is a nightmare for New Orleans. 
Yeah, especially when you're talking about a 41-year-old quarterback who clearly looks like it's not the same. I think that is a matchup that you would look at and go, even though all these other teams have other types of playoff experience, even though things are there, I feel like that is a big difference between that and a Seattle team that seems to have found its pass rush again with Carlos Dunlap, with Jamal Adams. And uh, the biggest thing that's been interesting to see is how Russell Wilson and the Seahawks offense, which was, you know, earlier they said letting Russ cook, suddenly at least, seems to be playing some tougher defenses and uh, starts being unable to really take advantage of things. Maybe something changed overall. Perhaps it was some sort of a play that went different, but it looks like at least Tyler Lockett has not come close to the player that he was there. Metcalf at least has still been kind of their biggest play threat, but like uh, Seahawks at least for that one are showing. And that's part of where I think to kind of wrap up today's show, John, to me, it's more about the fact of where you can look at the season as a checkbox. To me, then the playoff game, if the Cardinals can make it, you know, you can't get too ahead of yourselves. Like if the Cardinals drop this game to San Francisco, suddenly we're looking at least at if the Bears win against Jacksonville, you're starting to look at the Green Bay Packers praying that they don't rest starters and we're praying that, you know, the Saints won their game last week or the Seahawks were able to beat the Rams because otherwise you don't want there to be a scenario where uh, things suddenly collapse on you and you're locked out of the playoffs for that one just by, you know, looking past a San Fran team and then going into a clutch game against a guy you've never beaten in McVeigh since he's been the coach there. So uh, I would like to say that that would be kind of the same thing. The playoff experience would be a difference for me, but I think that that does give you probably the best shot outside of getting a lucky break or two if Tampa Bay drops a game suddenly and getting to play the NFC East winner. And uh, again, there's some, there's at least one scenario left where that could be a rematch with Hertz. That could easily turn into a matchup with the Giants again. That could turn into, you know, a matchup with Alex Smith back in a playoff game, or it could be a rematch against Andy Dalton and a pretty potent uh, Cowboys offense. It seems like it's found its groove a lot, and even though it's still giving up 30-something-plus points a game, that's still at least something to be concerned about since you'll be playing them on the road no matter what uh, when you get into the playoffs. Unless, you know, the sixth seed ends up kind of surpassing uh, the other teams that are there, which it's happened before. We saw that happen in 2008, but really, realistically, John, I think a lot of Cardinals fans would view it as if this team started off 5-2, and two, got to 6-3, and three, and then missed the playoffs because they went 9-7, and seven, could only get three more wins down the stretch when they were, and they lost four. That, at least to me, would be the biggest disappointment because you'd say, gosh, there was one game that the Cardinals dropped. You'd be looking back at every one of those losses that was close as a regret for the team. And while maybe yeah. you could talk about it being more hungry, I would prefer this team to be humbled and hungry after a playoff appearance than to have the team miss out at a chance, especially in a year, like you said, the Packers have beaten the same amount of teams with the winning record as the Jags. They've had one win over a winning team. It was the New Orleans Saints. Other than that, they just have not played teams that have a winning record, and they're the strongest team undoubtedly in the NFC. So it gives opportunity for the Cardinals. I don't think you can ever predict like a magical Super Bowl type run, but it's a chance of getting into the big dance, having the team hopefully be hot at the right time, and the fact that you're going to be potentially going up against you know either an LA or a Seattle team again, a team that you're very familiar with it's both an advantage for you in Arizona and also a bit of a test as far as the fact that if this team is going to be trying to be a dominant team under Kyler Murray and continue to grow, you're going to have to be able to win divisional games. That's what it comes down to. You can have a bad record, but as long as you win your divisional games, you'll be like Washington or Philly or Dallas. Whoever wins their divisional games, they're going to be in the playoffs that year, and ultimately that is what counts. The Cardinals have to be able to at least put the San Francisco team in the rearview mirror, and if Jacksonville you know, decides they don't want Trevor Lawrence, gives you and hands you a win, and you can go into the Rams game or let's like you even mentioned, or if the Packers can get that and you know going into the Rams game that the pressure then is not on you to get into the playoffs. The pressure then is, hey, like there may be a chance for us to be able to pass up the Rams for that one in essentially a bloodbath. That all starts with this game against San Francisco. Uh, let's hear your predictions after this. I think that this is going to be one of those games that the weaker defense that the Cardinals will score close to 30, but not quite. I've got them winning this game 29 to 16. I think that the biggest thing for me is that the Niners, if they can force another turnover or two, will be good. I think the Cardinals will try to do a better chance of 
game planning this time around. I think maybe there's a turnover or two, but I think ultimately what's going to happen here is Bethard, if he's going to come in, does not have the same arm as Nick Mullins. We've seen him play the Cardinals in the past. Uh, he was the one who started against them in, um, I believe it was twice, if I remember correctly, against the Steve Wilkes era Cardinals. That offense just looked sloppy. It was terrible. They're missing their best running back. Kittle, even if he does play, we have no idea if he's going to play or not. He's not going to be healthy. I think that this is a game that probably is closer than fans would like it to be, but I don't think it's going to be close where it's close down the stretch. I don't think that it's going to be a San Francisco win. I do think it is going to be a semi-comfortable, well, not totally comfortable win for the Cardinals. And that just kind of goes to show, at least for how bad this team has been, it just goes to show you, like you said, the Niners have just been abysmal for the most part this year. And a lot of that just does come down to not getting good quarterback play. What are your thoughts on the game, John? So I rarely do blow out predictions on this pod. I don't think I've done one all year. I'm going to say this is the the first blowout prediction of the season. I think Arizona is going to, I don't want to say mop the floor with them because again, we've seen this team, Jekyll and Hyde, you know, commit self-inflicting errors. I think you get a third string quarterback in your stadium, a team that has nothing to play for a team that's separated from their families during the holidays. I think their mind's going to be elsewhere. You're missing their, they're stud running back. They don't have Debo Samuel. Their offensive line has been pretty subpar this year. McGlinchey's been a huge regression candidate. And the defense is, it's fine, but it's certainly not of the caliber of some of the ones that we've seen recently that the Cardinals have, they weren't playing as well as the Giants were when the, when the Cardinals handed the, handled them offensively. So I'm going to go out on a limb. I think the Cardinals put up like 30-plus points. If I have to put a number out, let's say 33 and I think it's like 33 to 17. I think they win by double digits. And I think they this is going to be one of those games where it's like, okay, oh, the Cardinals are for real. The Cardinals are trending in the right direction. That that blip in the season was, you know, just a team going through the maturation process of learning how to win. It's a long NFL season. They're going to go nine and six, entering a pivotal game with Los Angeles and I think we're just we're all going to turn our attention after this game to what's going on with the Rams and the Seahawks. How are the Rams looking? And then what's going on more more specifically with the Titans and the Green Bay Packers? Because, Blake, you and I both know if the Titans mm-hmm. somehow pull off the small upset and beat the Green Bay Packers, which I think we both think is is possible, the Packers will have everything to play for in week 17 against rival the Chicago Bears, in which I think we both think if they played it at full strength, the, the Packers would beat them soundly. That would give the Cardinals their first playoff appearance since 2015. And again, like we mentioned earlier in the pod, would not even they would know the result of that prior to kickoff. So I'm going to go 33-17 Arizona wins. Okay, yeah, I, I, I do think that it may be a 23-16 game for a while, and then Arizona is able to make some plays, get a field goal. Uh, Saints to get the Vikings and the Panthers, which are no slouches. I think that you're right in terms of if the Cardinals want to get the best shot at this, your hope, at least for the most part, is that Green Bay is able to stay the number one seed, but doesn't have it where they're pulling away with it. There is an option that <laughs> would involve where if the Green Bay drops a game and you see the Seahawks potentially winning out, that would be a fascinating thing where Seahawks take over as the number one seed. I think you and I both agree that the Saints don't seem like they're good enough to pass up the Packers, uh, but hey, any, anything can happen. It would seem like that it's going to be one of those three teams, obviously, that the Cardinals would face off and play much, much more likely uh, than them going and playing that uh, number four seed, which it's good news for Bruce Arians and his Buccaneers should they manage to hold on. Anyway, that will wrap it up for this uh, edition. We'll be back at least next week. Um, Obviously with the holidays coming up, uh, wishing all of the best to uh, all of your loved ones and all of our listeners here. Uh, It's been obviously a rough year. It's been fortunate that the Cardinals for the uh, first time at least in our uh, time doing this podcast, uh, they have a chance to be able to end with a winning record if they can win one of these last two games. Uh, Kingsbury would go from 
and we're both predicting that'll happen. We'll see how it goes, but he would go from, you know, having a losing record in college to second season, having a winning record in the NFL, which just shows, goes to show sometimes you can't predict everything. Um, hopefully that our predictions will hold true for this game. Uh, John, where can our listeners find you and your content for this week? And um, where can they send you a little Christmas jingle? Oh yeah, you can you can send whatever you want to my Twitter at Johnny Venerable, and then of course we can be found at the uh, Revenge of the Birds podcast here through uh, RevengeOfTheBirds.com, uh, cranking out content through the end of the season into next season. Uh, I do for the time being a post game Periscope show. I know that Periscope is kind of shutting down with Twitter, but we're going to be able to do shows through the end of the year. And then we'll figure out a different way to live stream in 2021. Blake, where can they find your content? On Twitter at Blake Murphy seven. And of course, always at revenge of the birds.com. Uh, we'll be having a lot of stuff as far as for uh, slowing down a bit in the off season, at least that we'll see obviously how far this Cardinals team wants to go. It's up to them. Uh, but we're looking forward at least to what this past year has been a lot of change. Uh, everything from Hopkins to Joseph's defense to there's a lot of storylines, at least we'll be excited to, uh, kind of get into these next two weeks and see what the Cardinals are able to do. It's fun to be able to look ahead and be talking about possible playoff projections versus you know, what seed is their number one pick going to be, at least to add a talent for that this year. Uh, that'll be stuff we'll get into into the offseason as well. But uh, for all of us at Revenge of the Birds, wanted to wish you guys all uh, happy holidays, a Merry Christmas to everyone, and hopefully you have a wonderful start to New Year. Uh, we'll be tuning in on the other side of Cardinals San Francisco on uh, Amazon Prime this week. Those of you watching internationally, uh, we do appreciate you guys. Glad that there's a game that we'll be on for you to catch as well. Uh, take care, guys, and uh, hope you have a wonderful holiday season. Have a great Christmas, all right? Thank you.